When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with LD and Will the Thrill. Can you dig that, baby? Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD. Along with me for the ride is Mr. Hickey. Hello. So, welcome back for a second week. It is a second week. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Didn't even... And, and you've already given me a topic. I'm, I'm honored. Because <laughs> I'm too lazy to, to do them all. Put that on my LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Fast podcast promotion. Yep. Um, so, just so you guys uh, have a little bit more information about how we're going to be structuring the show from now on, basically what we're going to be doing is taking things in chunks. So... We're going to have four weeks on, one week off, four weeks on, one week off, four weeks on, one week off. That should be a song now. Basically, we're going to be taking artists, plugging them into a certain category and running with that category. So this little chunk of episodes isn't specifically talking about a singular person, but actually we kind of wanted to give everybody a break from all the gloom and the doom that 2020 has been and give you guys something a little bit different and something that we felt was really topical so that you guys can see kind of how long things have been going on that need change. And so today we want to do a little bit of a lighter episode and talk about what, Mr. Hickey? We are going to be taking a look at benefit concerts. Some of them I love. (laughs) There's some notable ones on here and some not notable ones. And as LD said, you know, there's a lot going on right now. And I think with everything going on, a lot of people are also very cause-minded. And for that reason, we're going to take a walk back through some of the causes and concerts and charitable events that came out of this that were arranged by popular musicians that you know. We're going to take a look at their contributions, involvement, and some fun facts about each one. And I am going to issue a warning here. You may very well see the end of our marriage after this episode. Oh, really? (laughs) There is a very controversial (laughs) subject that will come up inevitably in one of the, no, I'm going to say it, the largest benefit concert to date of all time. Hmm. Well, just remember, honey, that uh, if you divorce me, uh, I get the apartment, car, and the cats. Which means I have to pay... Monster money. <laughs> yes, for the three little monsters. So, first of all, let me pitch this to you. So, LD, when you hear a benefit concert, what comes to mind? Live Aid Queen. We're going to get to that, absolutely. I think it is unarguably the biggest benefit concert that at least our generation knows. But what is it? How did it come about? What other events have been like it throughout history? So we're going to look at how benefit concerts came into being. 
Oh, fun. <laughs> yes. A fun little jaunt, if you will. So a benefit concert, by definition, is a concert or charity event, show or gala featuring musicians, comedians, other performers that is held for a charitable purpose and is often directed at a specific and immediate humanitarian crisis. This goes on to point out something very interesting, that benefit concerts actually have two objectives, and they break them down into subjective and concrete objectives. So the subjective is the awareness of an issue or a problem, that the concert is trying to promote awareness about something. And as we walk through this again, going all the way back to the 16th century, we're going to see what kind of problems people were facing, what causes were out there, and how these things were brought into the public eye by these benefit events. And the second is, of course, concrete, in this case, monetary. How much money did these events raise for the cause at hand? So we're going to take a look at that and go through this, I guess, from what I think is the very beginning. Now, I won't claim I found the first benefit concert. But I did. But LD may have. And we're going to jump to some of the most popular. So it's important to know going into this that what you know as the, shall we say, format of a benefit concert is due to Live Aid. It created the template for the modern benefit concert. And that is, of course, attributed to Sir Bob Geldof. He is a sir. Queen. queen. Yes, we're, we're going to get to queen, of course. Um, my point was Bob Geldof was knighted by the Order of the British Empire. Mm -hmm. By the queen. Correct. He was, yeah. Queen, so, queen. However, the idea of a benefit concert was actually organized by my favorite Beatle, the late George Harrison. Really? Yeah. He was the first to really compile it into a event that we now know. However, Geldof really took the reins with Live Aid and created what is now the template for a global benefit concert. So we're going to take a look at that and see how it comes into being. So we're going to highlight individual events, the participants, and also just what was the cause? How much money did they raise? How did it play out? You know, what was the net result of the concert? So, so when do you think the first benefit concert was? The 1600s. So close. 1749. Oh. And it was Handel's Foundling Hospital Anthem. So many people know George Frederick Handel, the composer of... Messiah. Correct. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's my oratorio. So this actually stems back to the founding of a hospital for children that was in London. In 1742, this is where a philanthropist named Thomas Karam had been granted a charter to construct the hospital. And it was a charity designed for new babies and who were ill and couldn't get the treatment they needed. So this started in 1742, and by uh, by that point, it was the construct construction was already underway. So in 1739, George II actually established a charity to care for these children. The hospital sort of the first move towards that. So That's awesome. Yeah. So where does Handel come into play? Well, he actually approached the hospital's governors and offered to do a concert. So this had never been done before. And the goal was to, again, bring people out for this show. They would bring in money that would go to the hospital, which uh, was opening. So he did poach some of his own material. Handel pulled a lot of things from the Messiah and a few of his other pieces and sort of rearranged them, and he used it to conduct a concert. And he actually chose 
the Messiah of all things, his notable work to that date. And sure enough, all the wealthy subscribers turned out and it was nothing shy of a success. So he was actually asked to reprise the concert two weeks later. And it was so popular that they had to actually turn supporters away. Huh. Yeah. So Handel did a sold out crowd and then some. So uh, by the time 1759 rolled around, he had done every single performance. Unfortunately, Handel passed in 1759, but it became an annual event that he was part of up to the point where he passed away. Now that's important because Handel left in his will a fair copy of the Messiah score, which he left to the governors of the family hospital, and that allowed them to continue staging charity events with that piece of music after his death at no cost to the estate. And a fair copy is one of the first copies, correct? That's what I believe it was, yeah. I I vaguely remember that from National Treasure. (laughs) In fact, the score and the parts are still on display today at the Foundling Museum. Where's the Valley Museum at? It is in London. Why, why have we never been to London yet? Nope, we do need to go. I want to see the, the big uh, thing. And I want to go to the Eagle and Child Pub. What's the what's the big thing? I just want to look at it. The big thing. The, the roundabout? You, no. It, it, just, uh, it's in like all the movies. What do you call that thing? It's like the big Ferris wheel, but it's not a Ferris wheel. Oh, yeah. I don't. What's it called? I don't remember, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's right on the river, right? Yeah, I want to see that thing. Okay, so seeing the thing, check. (laughs) So flash forward a little bit. We're going to jump to the end of the First World War at the Concert for the Benefit of Widows and Orphans of Austrian and Hungarian Soldiers. This was in 1918, so World War I had concluded by this point. And as you know, it was fought between the Allied powers and the Central powers. So this was really geared towards the Central powers, which included Turkey, Germany, and Austro-Hungary. And some of the patrons of this event were Kaiser Charles I and Empress Zita of Bourbon Parma, which I love that name. Bourbon Parma. It's two things I love, bourbon and Parmesan anything. (laughs) So they designed posters and artwork. And during World War I, it was estimated that 1.2 million Austro-Hungarian soldiers were killed. So I'm just going to put that in perspective of the casualties so you know the severity of this. So... By the end of the First World War, the Allied powers, which were Russia, the British Empire, France, and all the countries associated with that, had lost a total of 5.2 million people. Which? Well, they won. They won. Yeah, they won, losing 5.2 million. The Central Powers lost, losing 8.5 million. And with 1.2, that means Austro-Hungary had 5% of all the people killed in the Central Powers during the First World War. So. Oh, cheese and crackers. So this benefit went off, you know, without a hitch, and it did raise the money that they were looking for, and it did help out the widows and orphans of the children for the soldiers that were killed in the war. So now we're going to flash forward, <laughs> and we're going to jump to 1971, because this is the first time a benefit concert that, as we know it, was staged. And, of course, that was credited to the late George Harrison, who will sadly never be knighted. You can't retroactively knight someone? That's the issue. You can't do it posthumously. So neither he nor Lennon can be knighted. Dang. Paul, and I don't know if Ringo was knighted, was he? Hang on. I'll find out. So this was 1971's Concert for Bangladesh. It was organized, of course, by George Harrison and by Ravi Shankar. Now, why would you know that name? Because his daughter's famous. His daughter is Nora Jones. The concert was held in 1971, I mean, August. I mean, 
Don't get me wrong, Ravi Shankar's famous too, but <laughs> I mean his his daughter is famous. As no, well. no, he, no, of course that, that wasn't my takeaway from it. No, of course that he was won. like the first thing that jumped into my mind. I was like, oh yeah, he's got a famous daughter, <laughs> and I think he plays the sitar. Uh, yes, he does. Okay. Sitar, not sit. I had a weird. I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Sorry. Like the the penniless sitar player from Moulin Rouge. <laughs> So this event was to raise money for East Pakistan refugees, and they were struggling because at this time, Bangladesh was still struggling as a country. Uh, In fact, I don't think at that point it was recognized as a nation, and there were a number of refugees. Can I uh, interject really quick? Absolutely. Ringo Starr is a knight. Okay, so half the Beatles are knighted. Yeah. Former Beatles drummer Ringo Starr received his knighthood for services to music. You know what, though? Here's the thing. If for some reason, like the queen has to call upon her knights to serve her. She might be in trouble. I think the dames are good. The dames are fine. You got Helen Mirren. Judy Dench. Judy Dench. (laughs) That's all you need. That's really all you need. But like, she's got like Elton John, although he was, he had the great fight sequence in the Golden Circle. The second Kingsman? The the second Kingsman movie, which was a great fight sequence. But I mean, Ringo Starr, you think he's going to draw a sword for you? Don't know. What about Ian McKellen? Mm. If you give him the right stick. But sadly, yes, the other half of the Beatles contingent would never will never be knighted, and that's unfortunate. So this was organized by George Harrison and Ravi Shankar, and it was very much, again, the idea of a celebrity, a known music personality, pulling together people they know to do this benefit. So I want to point this out because it's in stark contrast to how Bob Geldof organized Live Aid, which I'll get to shortly. Because essentially Harrison went around to all the people he knew. You know, he said, hey, can you play my show? And they were like, sure, of course I will. So this included not only Harrison and Shankar, but Ringo Starr, Klaus Vorman, Jim Keltnell, Eric Clapton, Billy Preston, Leon Russell, Badfinger, Ali, Akbar Khan, and Bob Dylan. Holy cow. To round out the lineup for 1971 Concert for Bangladesh. And it was actually administered by UNICEF. So that was the charity that would benefit from all this. A total of 400,000 were in attendance, and they raised over $250,000 for Bangladesh Relief. Okay, and you know what? I'm going to just drop a little bit of music in that from there. Hang on. You know what? Words aren't my friend today, and I'm really not going to edit this episode that much. Can I add one item before we go to the music? Sure. So due to the money that it raised, the concert itself raised 250000 which is great. However, they had a live album and a film. And those went on to raise over $12 million. Holy cow. Yeah, which went to relief for Bangladesh by 1985. So this was clearly the kind of thing where it happened. It had a good effect. However, the long-term effect was, was very positive. Awesome. Okay, here's a little bit of music. My friend came to me Sadness in his eye Told me that he wanted help
and before Will continues, I will say that uh, we will not play songs for every single concert uh, because, you know, sometimes it wasn't even recorded. That was actually uh, one of the second annual tribute concerts for that, but that song was played at the concert, concert for Bangladesh. <laughs> yes, the concert for Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Again, the late George Harrison, my, my favorite Beatle. So as we go forward in time, you'll notice the concerts go from being kind of sparse to being more frequent and larger in scale. So I'm going to ask you a question. You have to pick blindly here, LD. So you have a choice. You can see the 1971 concert for Bangladesh, which included, again, Harrison, Shankar, Ringo Starr, Klaus Vorman, Jim Keltnell, Eric Clapton, Billy Preston, Leon Russell, Badfinger, Ali Akbar Khan, and Bob Dylan, or you can pass that for the concert I'm about to talk about in 1972, the Festival of Hope. Are you going to uh, blindly? I have to choose blindly. You're basically taking what's in the box, yes. I'm going to take what's in the box. What's in the box? What's in the box is 1972. Oh. Two days, actually. So like if, I said, if growing... it, uh, But seriously, if, if you tricked me into picking what was in the box and Phil Collins is in the box... I, I might have to divorce you. I'm about to tell you. The Festival of Hope <laughs> took place in Westbury, New York at the Roosevelt Raceway, 1972. Okay. Two days. And it is appropriate that you took it because the two days are August 12th and August 13th. Ooh. Be our anniversary. That's concert. our anniversary. So you gave up Concert for Bangladesh. Here's what you got in return. Okay. Ike and Tina Turner. Okay. Sly and the Family Stone. We're good. Jefferson Airplane. Keep going. Chuck Berry. Okay. James Brown. All right. The Shirelles. Okay. Shanana. Yes. Billy Preston. Okay. Dr. Hook. All right. Looking Glass. Heck yeah. Bo Diddley. Okay. Stephen Stills. I'm excited. McKendry Spring. When do we leave? Elephant's Memory. This is awesome. The James Gang. Keep going. And Commander Cody. Who? (laughs) (laughs) That's what you got. I mean, let's look. I would take that lineup in in a day. I mean, the, the Shannonas I love. Uh, of course, Ike and Tina Turner. Like that was the, that was the days for Ike and Tina Turner. Yeah. I would I would kill for her legs and James uh, Brown and Jefferson Airplane. Jefferson Airplane. So that was 1972, and the benefit of said it was sponsored by the Easter Seals of Nassau for crippled children. So it was kind of a broader category, but good cause mm-hmm. nonetheless. Why does that make me think about Zoolander? What is this, a center for ants? <laughs> nice. I should have incorporated that now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. We're going to go forward to 1976, coming to you from London. So we're going back across the pond here for a three-day festival. And this was a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. Guess who was behind this one? <sighs> Bob Geldof? Nope. Think comedy. Oh, Eric Idle. No, your favorite Monty Python member. Oh, John Cleese. John Cleese. <laughs> John Cleese and Martin Lewis staged this one through Amnesty International. That's awesome. Yep, and it was a fundraiser, of course, for human rights and Amnesty International, as we all know. It took place at Her Majesty's Royal Theater in London. It included Monty Python, Peter Cook, Beyond the Fringe, and others. And we all know Peter Cook. Why? Mowage. Ah! That was the impressive clergyman was Peter Cook. Now I want to watch Princess Bride. And this actually launched a series of Amnesty International fundraisers. So we're going to kind of see this lineup coming back again. And again, it's uh, pioneered by John Cleese and Monty Python. Awesome. 
1976, again, growing in scope here. We jump forward to 1979, and we have not one, not two, not three, but four benefit events. Oof. And here they are. Our birth year was a good year. It was. In the order that they they happened. So January of 1979 was a gift of song, and it was music for UNICEF. So we're going back to the UNICEF Foundation. I'm sorry. Those, like, early early 80s, late, like late 70s, early 80s, had the syrupiest names. Well, just wait till you hear the lineup just, for this one, because uh, I think you'll find it appropriate. Gooey. So Robert Stigwood was a producer. He actually founded this along with the Bee Gees, who performed with, here we go, ABBA, Andy Gibb, Olivia Newton-John, John Denver, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Rita Coolidge, Chris Christopherson, Rod Stewart, and Donna Summer. I would pay money for that. That would be. I would Can like I to see, see this that. Yeah, Let absolutely. me see this list for just a second. I think the best part of this thing was finding out the lineups for all these. It was pretty amazing. Um, was it? Oh, the program's okay. Uh, yeah, 1979. Abba's good. Um, I'm just seeing what would be the price of a ticket. Like Abba alone, and get, couldn't they have thrown in Super Tramp? No one ever thinks of Super Tramp. <laughs> Uh, maybe they couldn't make it. I don't know. I'm just going to force everyone to listen to some Super Tramp after this is over with. And in June of that year, of 1979, from June 27th to the 30th, we had a return to Amnesty International with Monty Python, Martin Lewis, and they came back with the Secret Policeman's Ball, which was sort of a follow-up to the poke in the eye, and very similar in, in scale and events, and it was another fundraiser took place, of course, in London. In September of 1979, we had the No Nukes concert in New York. No nukes, no nukes. Oh, I never want to watch Armageddon. I think that one keeps, speaks for itself about the nuclear arms race at the time. And in December 26th from the, to the 29th, there was the concert for Kampuchea, not Kombucha, which I made that error a hundred times writing the script. And this was held at the Hammersmith Odeon, benefiting the citizens of Cambodia who were victims of the Pol Pot genocide. In that, okay... Is that where Swimming to Cambodia comes from? It is. And that's a wonderful movie with Spalding Gray. Yes. It's a one-man show, correct? It like is. It's, it's, it's just him at a desk talking about... That's it. The the, the, the Killing Fields, correct? Yeah, because he had a small part in The Killing Fields. <sighs> so it's about him going there and experiencing this. and it's, it's really something if you get your hands on it. It's sort of a rare a rare find, though. I, I you Okay. I will tell you, you can find it. And I'm going to take a second to plug... One of my favorite places in the world. It's like. Do tell. Uh, it's where I go if I want to have a stimulating conversation about films that isn't with my husband. Um, there is a place in North Hollywood, California. So if you live in this area, you can see it's called Eddie Brandt Saturday Matinee. And they have almost movie. They have almost every movie ever made. Almost. And the reason why I got turned on to this place was literally the first time I walked in, I was like, hi, I'm I'm looking for a made-for-TV movie that was from the 80s, and all I can remember is a guy in a wheelchair being thrown over the balcony. And literally, the owner of the store, Donovan, looked at me dead in the face, and he goes, oh, that was called The Hijack of the Achilles Laurel, or The Sea of Terror, and it was uh, on NBC on a Thursday night in 1984, and started ba 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 and he's like, and I don't have it, but I can get you, for, I can get it for you, and like four days later, he called me, and he had it, so if you want to watch any old weird movies, they do online ordering, 
And so oh, they do. Yeah, you can you can uh, rent the movies, and they'll ship it to you. And they are awesome. So that's how you can get a copy of Swimming to Cambodia. Very nice. So great film if you can check it out. And great store if you can check it out, too. Please go support small business. So these concerts took place from the 26th of December, from 26th of December to the 29th, and that closes out 1979. We're now into the 80s. We kick it off in 1981 with Back to Monty Python, The Secret Policeman's Other Ball, which again is Amnesty International, this time a four-day event featuring not only comedy acts, but musical artists. And on that list were Sting, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Donovan, Bob Geldof, and Phil Collins. Boo! You can tell things are going to get really hairy in about four years here. So they comprise the lineup, and it is often surmised that this is where Geldof had those seeds planted for what a benefit concert could do. So in 1981, he was working with Amnesty, doing these shows, and then we're going to go forward four years later to his his magnum opus. 1982, June 12th in New York, we had the Nuclear Disarmament Rally, and this was actually a march from the UN to Central Park to protest nuclear arms. And at that time, it was the single largest protest in U.S. history. Wow. Yeah. Single largest. They actually put on a free show in Central Park. The acts you could have seen for free. Okay. Let me see if you're going to... Will you go to see these acts for free, okay? For free? For free. Okay. Jackson Brown. Yes. Linda Ronstadt. Okay. Keith Haring. And that was a free concert. The concert was held in Central Park following the march from the UN. So protesters went from the UN to Central Park to protest the accelerating nuclear arms race. And at that point, it was the single largest protest in U.S. history. Which is crazy to think because, like, they had all of the, the protests for Vietnam. This was bigger. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was a free show. The performers included Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt, Bruce Springsteen, and Keith Haring. Huh. Yeah. It's a pretty good lineup. I feel like you would have probably seen that one. It's a free show. I mean... I, I would pay to see Bruce and Jackson Brown anyway. And at that point, Linda Ronstadt was probably at the top of her game. So. Oh, yeah, because didn't she just do um, An American Tale? That was later, wasn't it? It was like 1984? Yeah. I don't know. But she did this somewhere out there with, with Peebo Bryson. Stop bringing up Peebo Bryson. It actually is Peebo Bryson. Go on. Now we're to the big year. The year is 1985. Yes. There were two benefit concerts of note that year. There was Farm Aid, which we're going to get to. But of course, the pièce de resistance, this is the Grand Poobah Live Aid. Live Aid! So what was Live Aid? The greatest concert ever. Many believe that. And I think as we go through a few things about it, you will agree as well. So this was coordinated by Sir Bob Geldof. Again, he dipped his toe into the benefit concert waters a few years earlier with Amnesty International. I feel like you need to have a leeway into who Bob Geldof actually is because he was a member of the Boomtown Rats. He was the founder, and, and they he? have yes, and they have a song called "I Don't Like Mondays," which was like his, They're technically a one-hit wonder, but Bob Geldof would be a massive producer 
So, I mean, that's just a little bit of who Bob Geldof is because you just keep... You don't mention that he's in the Boomtown Rats. No, I, I did overlook that. And the Boomtown Rats actually played the London stage for Live Aid, so we'll get to that shortly. But Geldof didn't do it alone. It was coordinated by him, Bill Graham, and Harvey Goldsmith, all were key producers in the British music scene. So this is 1985, and I mentioned earlier that this sort of set the template for the modern benefit concert. That was due in large part to Bob Geldof going way beyond his physical reach. <laughs> I mean that in the metaphorical and the physical sense. I don't think anybody knew how big this thing was going to be. So unlike the concert for Bangladesh, where George Harrison had direct contact with everybody he booked because, you know, they were friends of his, Geldof pulled it together. And has anyone seen the movie World's End? <laughs> the, the part where Simon Pegg borrows $100 from three of his friends to pay off the fourth? That's basically what happens. No, I was trying to think of the line. It was, so you robbed Peter to pay Paul. No, I borrowed from Peter to pay... To pay you, yeah. You. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that is such an overlooked part of the Coronado trilogy. It's a great film. And, and, and it's even Simon Pegg's favorite movie that he's done. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, the more you watch it, the more you... It took me like three to six watches and then at like the seventh viewing I was like I think I actually like this movie (laughs) (laughs) it it does grow on you so in the way that Simon Pegg pulls together enough to pay off a debt to his friend is kind of the way Bob Geldof put together Live Aid he would approach say Sting for example and say oh we're doing this show you got to be part of it and Sting would say oh great you know I'd love to do it have you spoken to you know Paul McCartney so he would get Paul McCartney on the phone and say, oh, it's so great. We're going to have this performance. Sting is going to be there. And Paul McCartney will say, well, I'll do it if, you know, Dire Straits does. He goes, oh, it's great. We've got Dire Straits. And Paul McCartney would say, really? Oh, that's great. Well, I'm in. Geldof would immediately call Dire Straits and say, hey, we got this show. You got to play it. It's so great. We got Sting. We've got Paul McCartney. And the whole thing kind of snowballed. So that brought us to the full lineup of Live Aid, which was massive. It took place on two stages. Uh, the first was, of course, in London at Wembley. We're going to get to that. And the other was at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia. So these were happening on the same day. So that's the other key takeaway here is this happened in one day. They also held, I don't know if you knew this, they held simultaneous concerts in Sydney and Moscow. So this concert spanned four continents. I mean... For who they had, it probably needed four continents. The benefit, of course, was the issue of starvation in Africa. So that's where all the money was going. And Geldof basically set this whole thing up as a giant fundraiser. So who did he book? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's let's start with the <laughs> London stage. You need me stage. for this conversation? <laughs> no, I'm doing great on my own. <laughs> let's just do Wembley first, okay? Okay. Here we go. Adamant, Band-Aid. Big Country, Brian Ferry, Coldstream Guards, David Bowie, Dire Straits, Elton John, Elvis Costello, Howard Jones, Nick Kershaw, Paul McCartney, Paul Young, Queen, Sade, Spando Ballet, Status Quo, Sting and Phil Collins, The Band of the Life, Guards and the Coldstream Guards, The Boomtown Rats, The Style Council, The Who, Ultravox, and U2. 24 artists. I would never, I would buy my ticket, stand in front, and just never pee. That was just London. Let's go over to Philadelphia. 
Ashford and Simpson, Billy Ocean, Black Sabbath, Bob Dylan, Brian Adams, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Daryl Hall and John Oates, Duran Duran, Eric Clapton, The Four Tops, George Thorogood and the Destroyers, Joan Baez, Judas Priest, Kenny Loggins, Led Zeppelin, Madonna, Mick Jagger, Neil Young, and the International Harvesters, Patti LaBelle, Phil Collins, The Pretenders, Ario Speedwagon, Rick Springfield, Run DMC, Santana, Simple Minds, The Cars, The Beach Boys, The Hooters, The Power Station, Thompson Twins, USA for Africa, and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Ah, I mean match that and i think you can see where the dissension comes in i am a fan of phil collins lindley suffice to say is not Uh, however he is a key figure in this so in the interest of parody and preserving my marriage i'm gonna do an even trade here i am gonna highlight phil collins role because it is pivotal in live aid and then i'm going to turn it over to ld to discuss what is arguably the greatest live performance in rock history fair We'll see. So you may not be aware of this, but Phil Collins' name appeared twice on that list. How did this happen? Because his head's that big. He played both venues. Now, the only reason he was able to do this is because he flew the Concorde jet. Now, not everyone may be familiar with what that is because it was actually decommissioned in 2003. But, LD, you know what it is, right? Yes, because it was on an episode of Seconds from Disaster. Flight of the Concorde, which is the Concorde was a jet which was capable of extremely fast flight because of its uh, the way its its nose actually pointed downward so that there was less drag. I think I'm explaining this right, but basically it was a modern marvel and it could get you from uh, London to New York in three hours. Less than three hours. Whew. So that was that. So there's a lot of controversy surrounding Phil Collins' performance because he was originally asked by Bob Geldof to play, and of course he agreed. Great. Now bear in mind this is at the height of Phil Collins' fame. There's also something else going on, which we'll touch on in a moment. So he agreed to play the venue at Wembley with Sting. A-OK. Just after this happened, he was actually approached by Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin, who asked if he would join them at Live Aid. Now, this is where it gets muddy, and a lot of this is alleged, so I'm going to house it under that. I will say there's a great source for this. Phil Collins' autobiography, Not Dead Yet, does discuss this in greater detail. I'm going to hit some of the broad strokes here. The long and the short of it was, Plant asked Collins to play with them, and Collins said, I'll do it as long as it's not Phil Collins and Led Zeppelin. That's what he was trying to avoid, because this was right around the time John Bonham had passed away. So he pointed out he's not a sub for John Bonham, and he's certainly not a member of Led Zeppelin. They can go on and play together, and Robert Plant says, okay. So a number of things got lost here, none the least of which was the fact that Led Zeppelin was on an American tour and planned to play Philadelphia. (laughs) That was actually the easy part, because Bob Geldof and company basically arranged a flight on the Concorde. So hear this, this is pretty crazy. So Phil Collins does his set with Sting in London. He goes straight to Heathrow Airport, gets on the Concorde, which apparently he was on with Cher, which is kind of a crazy story in and of itself, flies to New York City in under three hours. Now, bear in mind, the concert is still in Philadelphia. So he gets off the Concorde, 
takes a helicopter from JFK Airport to the stadium and gets on stage with Led Zeppelin. Well, good for him. It's it's by far one of the craziest concert stories ever because you take the largest benefit concert in the world and only one person has played both venues. He's also one of the only artists to, as a solo artist and with a band, set record-breaking album sales for points, LD. You know what? what, That isn't about uh, benefit concerts, so uh, we're going to move on. Uh, Well, no, it does because you know who else who has done that? Sting. Sting also played that same concert. Okay. So with that said, Collins jumps the pond, does both shows, and it's very controversial because he was under the impression that he was not going to be basically subbing out for John Bonham, but the set list indicated otherwise. And to this day, it is a huge point of controversy between Bob Geldof, Phil Collins, and Led Zeppelin. So you can definitely do your research on that one. I'm not going to. Now, again, in fairness, I (laughs) promise to do a little turnabout here, and it is completely fair, as Lynn Lee has been very patient. (laughs) One of the acts back in Wembley was a little band called Queen. And I'll let LD do the rest. I mean, I'm just going to give an overview of what's in my heart, because I have nothing in front of me. But basically, it is the greatest 17 minutes in concert history. It started off with Bohemian Rhapsody, included Hammer to Fall, Radio Gaga. Uh, some They had crafted their set to be as inclusive of their body of work as possible. And they wanted to create an environment of energy and excitement. And so there was actually a rumor that someone had changed the volume so that theirs would be louder. And they also chose a very specific time slot so that it would be beneficial for both venues to watch his concert. So both co- like both time zones, anyone could have seen it at, a, at an optimal time. And every band had the same time restriction, correct? They only had X many minutes to they play. They had 17 minutes, I believe, to play. 20 minutes total, which would be for load in and load out. And, uh, yeah, basically Queen is the greatest band of all time. And if you don't believe so, fight me. <laughs> and because Will made me sit through information about Phil Collins, you know what the song for Live Aid is going to be? Oh, I think you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, great, greatest, uh, greatest performance of all time. That was a little, little taste. And they actually came back a second time to perform during Green, Live Aid. Green did? Yep. So what did Live Aid do in the end? Well, they ended up raising $38 million. Now, to put that in perspective, if you adjust for inflation today, that's over $98 million. Cheese and crackers. Uh-huh. Good job, Bob. Yep, so well done there. And it obviously became the template for the way we know benefit concerts. And just a little fun bit of trivia also, the opening act in London was Elton John. Oh, nice. The opening act in Philadelphia, the Hooters. <laughs> so you got that. Uh, and one of the, mis- I think the misnomers in Bohemian Rhapsody, the film, actually shows Queen taking the stage when U2 is leaving, and I don't believe that is correct. They didn't play in after each other? Uh, it, it suggests that U2 played just before Queen, and it ah. was not. I'm pretty sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they did. Got it. And as Lenny mentioned earlier, the Concorde was decommissioned. It had a horrible crash in the year 2000 where everyone on board was killed, which led to it being dismantled three years later. And I think I mentioned this before, but uh, Michael J. Fox was supposed to be on that flight in 2000. And Jeez. he changed his plans. So suffice to say, I think it's a unique moment in concert history because I don't know. It could probably happen again, but it's just so interesting. But Well, here's the thing. Oh, you know, if, if we were given the ability to take one trip through time, like one moment in time, um, most people would be like, I'd want to go back to see the Gettysburg Address, or I would want to go see who killed Kennedy. And I'm like, I would go see Live Aid. I, hang on, let's play a game too. Actually, do you have your phone on you? Uh, I do, actually. Call call my brother. Hey, uh, hang on. Uh, hey, I'm going to Hey, TJ. Yeah. You are on Rock and Roll Heaven right now. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> Drunk, how are you? <laughs> Good. We actually, uh, we were calling for one quick question, okay? Okay. If you could, if I don't get the right answer, I'll ask it a different way. If you could time travel to any moment in history, where would you go? Um, Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Okay. All right, let me rephrase this. Uh, okay. <laughs> if you could go to any concert, what would it be? Oh, um, almost certainly uh, Queen at Live Aid. <laughs> uh, USA. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> I win. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus and Freddie Mercury. <laughs> it's a trick question. Freddie Mercury is Jesus. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, TJ. Okay. Other TJ. I love you. Bye. You suck. Bye. There you go. Nice. So that was Live Aid, 1985. That same year, there was also Farm Aid. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it had quite the grandeur that Live Aid had, but it's still important nonetheless because it's actually still going to this day. Uh, it was organized in the fall of 1985 by Willie Nelson, Neil Young, and John Mellencamp. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's like the blue collar tour. I think that's great. Of music, pretty much, yeah. And uh, they actually, again, it happens every year. So it is an annual benefit for farmers in the United States and their families. And this year, due to COVID-19, they had a watch from home option where you could see the concert from home, which, of course, featured Neil Young, Willie Nelson, John Mellencamp, and Dave Matthews. I love Dave Matthews. Well, what's crazy is Willie Nelson's still doing this, and he, this year, is turning 87. Oh, jeez. And he's still going. 
1986 followed with three kind of quick ones as we move into, you know, sort of the mid to late 80s here. Uh, there was Heartbeat 86, which was in March, and that was a benefit for the Birmingham Children's Hospital in Birmingham, England. There was Self-Aid, May 17th of that year, and that was actually in response to the high unemployment numbers throughout Ireland at the time. Interesting. It's a very tumultuous period in Irish history, and it was held in Dublin. Guess who pulled it together? Oh, oh. You see, there's only two right answers. Okay. Okay, it's either Bob Dylan. Nope. Or Bono. It is Bono, yeah. Bono <laughs> and you too. Uh, other performers included the Pogues and Van Morrison. Oh, the Pogues. In June of that year, we had the Conspiracy of Hope tour. Again, that was that was actually run by Amnesty International, and it was a U.S.-based tour of six different concerts. Yeah, I know, it sounds a little weird. So they basically had six shows under this Conspiracy of Hope tour, and the bands included U2, Sting, who at this point was really coming up as a solo artist, Joan Baez, Lou Reed, Jackson Brown, the Neville Brothers, and... Sting reunited with the police at the last three shows. And this was a U.S.? This was a U.S. tour, yeah. Based, oh, man, mm-hmm. that would be a really good tour. It'd be interesting, yeah. I'm guessing they probably hit New York, Miami, Dallas, Minneapolis, Los Angeles, and maybe Seattle. I don't know about Minneapolis or Seattle, but I think there's other cities for sure. Chicago? Yeah. Perhaps, yeah. Flash forward to 1988, we had Human Rights Now, which was a, almost a month long organized by Amnesty. It went from September 2nd to October 15th. Who was in that? That one I didn't have a lot of information on, I'll admit. Oh, bummer. Uh, so that one's a bit of a, a ghost. But the next one is a big one. The next two I think you're going to really like. 1990 kicked off with The Wall Live in Berlin. Ooh. And that was obviously a... Yeah, Berlin Wall, mm-hmm. the takedown of the Berlin Wall, mm-hmm. 1989. Well, it was a disaster relief fund, and it was po- it was pioneered by Roger Waters, of course. Okay. Uh, he actually started the foundation. Of the who? And he put up a lot of his own money to make of the, the festival <laughs> to make the festival happen, where other performers of, would of, you, you go back to Roger Waters because some people might not know who. Oh, Roger Waters, obviously one of the founding members of Pink Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he flies a pig <laughs> over the audience if you see him in concert. And uh, his main album, The Wall, obviously the significance there is quite obvious was actually performed by different artists for this for this festival. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, so the bands included Rick Danko, Leon Helm, Garth Hudson, the band, the Hooters, they're coming back, Van Morrison, Sinead O'Connor, Cindy Lauper, Mariana Faithful, the Scorpions, Joni Mitchell, Paul Carrick, Thomas Dolby, and Brian Adams. Brian Adams gets in there a lot, too. Yeah, he shows up quite a bit. I'm literally going to play something that's like 40 seconds long, okay? And then I'll tell you who it is doing what, when. It almost sounds like a video game version of Another Brick in the Wall, part two. It kind of is. It is Thomas Dolby's solo at the wall, and he's actually playing the guitar. That is amazing. 
It just brings me so much joy. And he looks like a video game, like, mini boss. Guitar! Look at, look at the video. Yeah, he looks like someone Sonic the Hedgehog would fight. <laughs> he does. He does kind of look like Dr. Robotnik. Oh, that's pretty fantastic. <laughs> so, Thomas Dolby, science! Pants. And this one's for you. 1992, A Concert for Life, Freddie Mercury Tribute. Concert for AIDS Awareness, obviously. Freddie Mercury had unfortunately passed away. That it went and raised over $35 million. It was held at, Le- at Wembley Stadium in London, and it was not only a benefit and AIDS research fundraiser, but it was in honor of the late Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Approximately 72,000 people showed up. There was a live television broadcast, and they don't have the exact numbers, but it is believed that total viewership of that concert in 1992 was $1 billion. Jesus. Yeah, live and over the course over the span of 76 countries worldwide. Performers included the surviving members of Queen, so obviously you had uh, Deaky, Brian May, and Roger Taylor, Metallica, Def Leppard, U2, Guns N' Roses, Seal, David Bowie, Mick Ronson, Elton John, Annie Lennox, Robert Plant, and George Michael. Yep. I would see that. That'd be amazing. Welcome now to the 21st century. So there was a bit of a dry spell for benefit concerts towards the mid to late 90s. And of course, the September 11th attacks happened. And in 2001, Joel Gallen and George Clooney actually organized a tribute to heroes. And this was in New York City, obviously the epicenter, but they also did shows in Los Angeles and London. And it was simulcast. Uh, Performers included Bruce Springsteen, Stevie Wonder, Neil Young, U2, Faith Hill, Billy Joel, of course. Which I just want to stop for a second. If you've never seen his concert live at Shea Stadium following the 9-11 attacks, it is absolutely breathtaking. New York State of Mind just brought the house down. Do we own that? We own oh, that, yes. Oh, we? yes, we do, yes. I bought that for you, didn't you I? You sure did. Uh, so we had Billy Joel, Paul Simon, Wyclef Jean, Alicia Keys, Eddie Vedder, and Mike McCready, the Dixie Chicks, Mariah Carey, and Willie Nelson. It raised over $200 million in a telethon, which was for the, obviously, the service providers on September 11th, police, firemen, and ambulance who lost their lives in the attack. 2005, the Live 8 happened, and that was a series of eight concerts that took place. It was sort of a 20th anniversary of Live 8. So the events were held to raise money for Make Poverty History, which was a campaign on a global scale. As you may have guessed, there were eight locations. Those included Tokyo, Rome, Philadelphia, Paris, Moscow, London, Johannesburg, Edinburgh, Cornwall, Berlin, and Barrie. Which I realize is more than eight, but, you know, oh well. (laughs) Performers included Neil Young, Tragically Hip with Dan Aykroyd, Dido, Annie Lettix, Nana Cherry, Elton John, R.E.M., Snoop Dogg, The Pet Shop Boys, Muse, The Cure, Def Leppard, Kanye West, Duran Duran, Bjork, and Do As Infinity. That is so weird. That was just throwing Did a dart that, yeah. at the... Someone, like, spread out their CD collection and then just, like, picked it at random with their eyes blindfolded. Wow. They brought up their their digital music catalog and they hit random they were like first song was rem okay there and next is snoop dog okay and bjork so that's happening 
good cause, and it raised over fifty billion dollars. What? Yeah, that is 50- more than that is that is literally more than all of the the Marvel movies. Well, well, bear in mind that this amount is cumulative. This is not only the performance, but the subsequent fundraisers went all the way till two thousand ten. And album sales and video sales and all Got this. it, okay. But still, $50 billion. 2007 featured the Live Earth Tour. And this was actually spearheaded by Al Gore. That happened on July 7th and included more than 150 musical artists over the course of 11 locations, including South Africa, Brazil, China, Japan, Australia, Germany, the United Kingdom, the U.S., and this says Antarctica. Were they playing for penguins? Uh, maybe Phil Collins played all of them. He just flew to Antarctica and then went around. I don't know. You can keep him in Antarctica. I'm just waiting for the day where somebody like listens to this this podcast and clues Phil Collins in, and he calls me to to yell at me. <laughs> I'm just waiting. It could for that. happen. Now there were a lot of celebrity appearances, but the musical lineup is again very eclectic. We have The Police, Bon Jovi, Alicia Keys. Smashing Pumpkins, Akon, The Beastie Boys, Spinal Tap, Garth Brooks, (laughs) Garth Brooks. Spinal Tap is not even a real band. Madonna, Wolf Mother, Exhibit, Bonnie Pinn, Macy Gray, Lenny Kravitz, and Pharrell. Wow. And just to touch on the point that I made earlier, the locations were the broadcast locations. So someone in Antarctica was tuning in. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> Huge Pharrell fan in Antarctica, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> As we get into the 2010s, we actually have a series of what I would call sort of reactionary benefit concerts. These are in response to an event, which obviously didn't take away from the gravity of the event, but they weren't sort of cause-based, if that makes any sense. Uh, the first one, of course, the Indiana State Fair Remembrance. Do you remember the Sugarland concert where the stage collapsed? Yeah, was that Sugarland? That was Sugarland. Have yeah. we seen the video? Is that the one that we've seen the video of? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's okay. pretty terrifying. It is. That is one. Okay, so one of these will be where we not not in this block, but a block in the future will actually be about uh, events that happened at concerts. So we'll be covering like Altamont, and we'll be covering the Guns and Roses, and of course we'll be covering um, the Great White. Uh, incident and so uh that that will be one of them because it was a very tragic event and it's so scary to watch that because it's it's there's i've only seen one angle of that video and the one angle that i've seen is is enough to just make you like jump out of your seat it's it's scary it is and the the footage is really spooky seven people lost their lives and 40 were injured due to a rigging accident it took place on August 13th at the Indiana State Fair. That's not the High Winds, is it? I believe that was, yes. That was when High Winds blew the stage rigging over. So it was a one-night event with Sugarland. Actually, they took it upon themselves to do a show for this. The show was free. However, concert goers were encouraged to donate $10. And they raised over $900,000. Wow. Yeah, impressive. In 2016, we had a response to the Pulse nightclub shooting. Yeah. And that was a a fairly recent one. I think those uh, in recent memory have that one. That was in response to the uh, tragic shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. 40 people lost their lives. Yeah, almost 50 people were killed. And we just had uh, the anniversary of that recently. Oh, that's right. And there's there's a very good documentary called 48 Pulses by the same guy who did 77 Minutes. And 
uh, it's it, it's a really good documentary that really digs deep into it. It's very interesting. Um, is that when they break down the police response and everything else? Yeah, this I will say that this this documentarian uh, does lean kind of against the police. He kind of tries to entrap them and, and things like that, especially in 77 minutes. Uh, but it, he talks to a lot of survivors, a lot of the family members and people. It's, it's very good, very good documentary. And it's on Prime. So the key performers in this one were Imagine Dragons, Nate Russ of Fun, and Samantha Ronson. And it was called All in One Orlando Unity Concert. And it raised over $700,000 in response to those tragic events. And that money was mostly sent to the families of the victims. The last and final one is 2017. So just a couple of years ago, we had the benefit for the Manchester Arena attack. Remember that one? Uh, Ariana Grande, The correct. Ariana Grande concert, yeah, where... On May 22nd of 2017, a suicide bomber um, set off a homemade explosives in a crowd of people leaving the arena after the concert, and 23 people were killed. Uh, Almost 140 were wounded, and a lot of them were were children, because Ariana Grande's fan base is young. Yeah, yeah, I remember that being... I, I also remember her being especially disturbed by that, too, so... Yeah, that was like a, a, a very, it was just a hard thing to deal with. Yeah, in fact, she drove that whole benefit after that concert. I think, like you said, she took it very personally, and it took place on June 4th of 2017, so mere weeks after the initial attack. Uh, acts included not only Ariana Grande, but Justin Bieber, Coldplay, Miley Cyrus, Niall Horan, Katy Perry, Take That, Usher, and Pharrell. And it all went to the We Love Manchester Emergency Fund, all the proceeds, which is a partnership with the British Red Cross. I'm sure there will be more benefit concerts in the years ahead. I hope, you know what? I hope we do and I hope we don't. I, let, me, let me say I hope we don't. I, don't I, I hope that we don't have an event that shocks and shakes us enough to pull a bunch of artists together. I hope if there are these massive concerts that they're done in celebration, like we cured covid or, you know, there is now unity in the world. But it's a pipe dream. But I would love to go to literally any concert at this point. Uh, Garth Brooks just had a concert. Couldn't get tickets to that. I think it was a, it was basically like a drive-in movie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it sold out almost immediately. And uh, I, I also think, like, what was the last concert that, that I saw? And you know who it was? Who's that? Mark Knopfler. Oh, that was up at Berkeley. Yeah. Me and my friend Jess, like, just got into my car one day and drove up to Berkeley and saw one of the greatest guitar players of all time. He also played the the original Live Aid with Dire Straits. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if I were to hold, let's just, uh, let's just play a little game really quick. Uh, if you could put together a benefit concert with five acts, who would you include? And it can be living or dead. Oh, geez, anybody? Anybody. Oof. Got to got to pick five, and what would it benefit? I know what it would benefit. So what I would put it is towards social programs to benefit people in underprivileged areas and develop things like job skills, interview skills, building a career. So I that's sort of the angle I would want to take. Uh, who would be involved in that? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I feel like I have to give it up to I think one of the grand poobahs of grand performance and greatest guitar players of all time i think Jimi hendrix would have to be on the list okay that's one i got four more geez um billy joel okay james taylor 
Okay. And it can be anybody? Anybody, oh, living or dead. This is hard. I think I'd have to bring the band back together, and that would be Oingo Boingo. Okay. That's, you got one more. I got one more. This is a very strange lineup, by the way. <laughs> Michael Jackson. Really? I mean, if you're talking about pop gravitas at his peak. Okay. You, you can't beat that. So like 1987 Michael Jackson. Late 80s, yeah, before the Black or White album. Basically that span. Ah. Uh. Black or White is so good, though. No, no, Black or White is and fine. Scream's but amazing. I feel like that the, the area you pointed out, the late '80s up until that point, was really where he was. He was bulletproof. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mine would benefit uh, the Rescue Rock Shelter. Oh, nice. <laughs> and if you guys don't know, I now work at an animal shelter called Rescue Rocks, which is very appropriate. I get to name all the cats, and they're all uh, named. For rock stars, <laughs> I have not yet found my Freddie Mercury cat yet. That's going to so, be a rare find, though. That's going to be like, there's going to be a cat there that I just look at, and I'm like, you are Freddie Mercury. I think you got to start with John Deacon and work your way up from there. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, my number one band would be Queen. Absolutely. Because we all know that Freddie Mercury loved his cats. And then I keep going back to Aerosmith. I love Aerosmith. Um Good choice. Probably up to pump. Okay, that's fair. I gotta go with Weezer. Dave, oh, nice. Dave Matthews Band. Good one. Which makes this concert at least three days long. Yeah, it could be a festival. It's fine. Oh, and oof, oof. Garth Brooks. He would draw a crowd. But yeah, I'm trying to think about like if I if get to get get to get the most money from people. <laughs> like, I feel like that's a good. Because you got the nerd rock. I mean, but then, of course, like, do I pull in Weird Al Yankovic? Do I pull oh, out... should have. Do I pull out They Might Be Giants? Because, you know, you got Weezer in there. Why not? Yeah, you've got sort of the nerd rock genre cover. Yeah. Oh, Weird Al. That'd be wonderful. <sighs> so, anyway, I think... Uh, I think that that's pretty much our episode for today, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's what we got. So yeah. thanks for listening. Thanks for bringing me along for the ride. Uh, we will be back next week where we talk about events that happened in real life that, what do you call that? Inspired? Yes. <laughs> events that happened in real life that inspired songs from artists that you know and you love. So in keeping with the spirit of keeping it a little bit lighter. And then uh, when we do come back with our uh, focus on one particular artist, our first month, because of what we've been dealing with so far, will be artists that we've lost due to COVID. Oof. Taking it back really dark, and I'm sorry, guys. But um, thank you so much for checking this episode out. Uh, please check us out next week where we talk about songs that were inspired by real events. You can check us out on our social medias. You can check if you think we're doing a really awesome job and you'd like to throw some cash at us. You can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can find us on Twitter at rock and roll LT. Instagram is rock and roll heaven LT. Facebook rock and roll heaven pod. I'm still not saying our website name and you can email me personally. It is me on the keyboards at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com. And you can check out all of our other amazing Pantheon podcasts at rockandrollarchaeology.com or wherever you find Pantheon podcasts in the world. Again, thank you so much, guys, for checking us out. 
like I always say, keep rocking in the free world. All right. Thanks, Will. Thank you. Have a good one. I'll see you in the kitchen.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.